Welcome to Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective podcast, where we meet experts from all walks of life to learn their intrinsic motivation so that they can share it with the world. What do we have in store today? Stay tuned to find out more. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, everybody out there in podcast land. This is another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. This is Hamza. And I am David. And today we are going to mix it up a little bit, uh, going to go into our my old corporate roots or business roots. Uh, we have a our guest, as she is an organizational psychologist. Uh, she has been presenting concepts, complex business concepts over the years, has a doctorate at the University of Virginia. Uh, she has worked at the MBA program at the Darden School there as well, has feedback from tens of thousands of participants who have worked in her program throughout the years. And she is also the author of Woulda, Coulda, Shoulda, Rapid Results, no excuses. Without further ado, I'd like to welcome Dr. Margaret Bradley to the podcast. Welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. I am, I was excited about speaking with you because it's really interesting that uh, in 2018, there is a lot of finger pointing and uh, no one is taking ownership for if, if something goes wrong in business or life. And so I was really interested in speaking with you uh, since your book is talking about woulda, coulda, shoulda. seems like uh, people are making excuses even more so than ever and wanted to get your pre- professional opinion on the current landscape of finger-pointing. I'm delighted you asked that question, and I'm glad that people are making excuses even more than ever. Uh, it really led to the book, Woulda, Coulda, Shoulda. Because I listened to people around me and the excuses, and I listened to myself, and I realized that really one thing that everybody can do that would make them more successfully successful right away without spending any time or any money is to stop excuses. Hmm. Where do where you think, if, if we can kind of go back in time, because it, it seems there was a time where there was more uh, ownership and decision-making. And now, you know, it seems like it's the total opposite. So everybody's pointing fingers at at multiple people. Where do you think this started? Well, some of the reasons that I think might have been behind that are a lot of decisions now seem to be made by committees and it's easier to pass the blame and i also think that a lot of people are not in their position as long as they used to be so it's easier to blame their predecessor or turn a mess over to the successor with excuses it's not my fault it wasn't in the budget uh, the time wasn't right all those things that we hear today and have heard for a while, but I think you're right. We hear them and read about them more than ever. Hmm. What do you think? Yeah, would you talk uh, like just corporate pressure for you know doing your job? Would you kind of throw all that in there too? I would, and pressure for immediate results and short-term 
thinking. Uh, again, I think that people are in jobs. The short, excuse me, the, the tenure is shorter in jobs, and I think that all of this contributes to excuses. Oh. Yeah. The um, and it's that's something that seems so obvious to stop making them, but it's also something that we're not taught. Maybe by our parents. In fact, it's interesting that uh, the book, Woulda, Coulda, Shoulda, was really written originally for people in leadership positions. But I found that a lot of people have decided that, oh, well, I might have an interest in excuses, but I really want to stop the excuses of the people who are around me, my family, my team, my organization. So I think mm-hmm. that uh, maybe, hopefully, there's more of an awareness Although that hasn't stopped people, has it? <laughs> <laughs> well, let, let's kind of let's go back because uh, you, you've you've held multiple positions, so you've seen the different uh, empowerment, if you will, on each level. So, if you can kind of walk through what what was it like with you know people on the front lines, you know the day to day, maybe customer service, all the way up to the boardroom. I think one of the things that I really have enjoyed most about my career is just as you said, I've um, interacted with everybody from employee, new employee orientation sessions through senior executives. And I think that one of the um, things that I learned, again, it led to the book, was that when I looked at the ones, the new ones, the experienced ones, the seasoned ones, or the ones who were just in there trying real hard to do the right thing, the number one thing in all of those people um, who are participants in classes or had been members of my team or I'd been members of theirs, the number one thing associated with being wildly successful is they didn't make excuses. And I also think, looking back on my, my career, some of the people who were less likely to make excuses were the ones who had been matched or matched themselves to being in the right job. They had a position that allowed them to use their strengths. And I also spent some time looking at different excuse styles that people have, and I Mm. found that those styles give you an indication of how frequently you make excuses and what your attitude toward excuses are. And, for example, the, the three styles are excuse conquistador, which would be well-suited to somebody who's sort of a I'll make the plan, work the plan, um, and a military environment or a hierarchical environment. No excuses. Let's get it done. And the second one is a situational excuser who really says their favorite words are, it depends. And that's ideal for somebody in a research or a customer service background. You want them to have empathy for the customer, and you also want them to not make an excuse but figure out a reason behind the problem so that they can solve it. And the excuse optimizer is a little bit more cavalier <laughs> and probably not as good a fit in um, a lot of business environments. That's basically someone who would be um, flexible 
Well, actually, they'd be a great fit for a creative environment. So I think that um, the answer to your question is that matching yourself to the right environment, and that environment would be one that uses your strengths and that matches your skew style. Just think of it for a moment. I'm not um, sure what your strengths are, but I know that... I would like to think that some of mine are are communication and creativity, but don't ask me to be the treasurer of your organization. That's when I'm going to start making excuses because it doesn't match what I do best. Um, So let's stay there with the the strong suit with the communication and creativity, but when you said the treasury, right, uh, we're – I just remember in some environments you're told to take initiative and you may be or you're dressing and you're thinking about the next position. So if you come in as customer service, then, you know, you may one day want to be in leadership. So you may not have the strengths at that time, but what do you think about taking the initiative for opportunities that come up where you can uh, grow into a strength? I think that's great. I think that that's probably the key to success because when you think about it, another key would be don't make excuses, plunge in. The number one reason that people make excuses is fear. You know, I haven't done it before or maybe I'm not sure that I can. But to plunge in and, as you said so well, take initiative. And I think another big factor is knowing what you want and if you know that you want to expand your horizons or have more responsibility it's a great motivator and a great reason to take those risks I recommend small ones <laughs> incremental ones and setting yourself up for success but definitely taking initiative and if someone gives you an opportunity to be on a team or try out new ideas or initiate a project, go for it. Don't make an excuse. When you were talking about being in part of a hiring process, and in the other part at the beginning, you were talking about the pressure for immediate results. One of the questions that usually happens that I, I can remember is, you know, where do you see yourself in five years or where do you see yourself growing in this position? And uh, so it, there is a mindset of, am I seeing myself in five, year, five years? But if there's such a pressure for immediate results, aren't they kind of canceling each other out? Like, what's your take on that? I think you're right. I think that what count certainly is having a goal and having a personal mission, but right now is probably the most important if you're going to have any opportunities in the future. But I remember, I don't know if you do, I think it was a favorite interview question long ago, where do you see yourself five years from now? And I don't know because I haven't um, interviewed in a long time, but I imagine that people don't ask the question as frequently as they used to because the world is changing so quickly. I know when I entered the business world, people went to work for an employer and stayed there usually for their whole careers. And now experts say we're going to have not seven to nine different 
jobs, but seven to nine different careers. So I think you're right. Making up what is a, a, a phrase I had, had coined or a word I coined, be optimistic, a combination of, combination of optimistic and realistic. So the optimism is, yes, life is going to get better and better as I grow and do something perhaps even more rewarding five years from now, but be realistic at the same time and seize the day where you and make the most of your current position. Does that mm-hmm. make sound like no, that, uh, <laughs> what you remember? It, yeah, it does. It, it was, uh, you know, a little nostalgic in what you were saying because uh, my old firm, before they were acquired, uh, we had a president who had started in the mailroom. And I remember when I had initially started working there and he was telling me that, right, I'm kind of sitting there like, are you serious? Am I watching a movie type of deal? And that was the case. But when they were acquired, you know, that kind of went away. And and then we were uh, in an environment where you were saying that you may have nine different careers, um, even in the same company. (laughs) Yes. And the company might not be the one that you originally joined. Um, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I was just also thinking, you know, if we look at business cycles about 10 years ago is when we had so much upheaval. And, you know, we're on a trajectory where it's seen, where the impression is that it's a really, or a stronger economy, but it goes in cycles. So if we're uh, due for another correction, if you will, uh, there may be a lot more excuses going around because people are, are, are trying to adapt to maybe, like you said, a different career and they're not going to be uh, doing what they're doing now. If, if you were to look at your crystal ball and, and thinking about what it could have, should have, and excuses, um, what, do you, what would you say to the person um, for the next couple of years, what they should uh, anticipate and, and be prepared instead of reactive? It seems overly simplistic for me to just answer your question by saying, wow, the world is changing, but the speed with which change is occurring is just takes my breath away. And I think corporations and individuals are facing those those problems. I think that oh, about 10 years ago, um, doing some consulting work with a major corporation, and they were laying off about 3,000 people. And I remember when I did workshops, which would take control of your career was the title of the workshop, that I quoted the past president who said that so many people had come up to him and said, oh, I want job security. And his response had been the greatest job security that day, 10 years ago, was being perceived as being able to do more than one thing. And I think the way that you're perceived as being able to be nimble, flexible, and rise to the occasion is enhancing your reputation by not making excuses. Sure, I'll, I'll learn how to, and I, I think of my own um, experience in, in information technology and, you know, starting off with Fortran and punching cards in the basement of the science building at 3 o'clock in the morning working on a degree to now the age of mastering a program on my um, laptop only to find out, oh, I need to learn a new one, learn a new skill. So I think that that 
being willing to take a risk. Real, I, I went to a workshop not long ago, and one of the participants who was very impressive, um, a law degree or a graduate of a, a well-known, well-respected law school in 2014, terrific presence, very sharp. And he was saying, as a millennial, he said, I'm so disappointed. Nobody gave me a handbook for life. And I'm thinking, oops, <laughs> I didn't know there was supposed to be one. And I think, you know, in the handbook it would say, don't make excuses, go for it. But that's really hard. Uh, in fact, even I conducted a workshop for um, senior executives in a company that was maybe similar to your experience. They were, um, it was a, a takeover, and they were actually in the, the larger side, the, the company that was acquiring another company, and they wanted to um, have some insights to managing change. And I asked them just easy questions, such as, where would you go on vacation? When you go to a restaurant, where do you go? And this particular group was having a hard time with all the changes that were taking place because they went to the same place on vacation every single year. Mm. They went to the same favorite restaurant. They were not trying different cuisines. They were not trying different cities. And I think that you kind of need to learn to stretch and expect the unexpected. What do they say? Expect the best, but prepare for the worst? It's interesting that you say that because I'm looking back again at that 10 years ago, and there was an excuse, or not an excuse, but I think it was even an article. And they were talking about uh, just what you were just saying, where you, you know, we are creatures of habit. And so they had used the, an example of uh, accountant, and they were working at a, a larger firm, and they, the, this accountant had uh, hung out with all the other accountants at the office. You know, they ate at their same restaurant for lunch and, you know, went home. And then when they all were laid off, they were competing against each other. And they never really, you know, stretched those boundaries, like you said, to network with other industries or other people. And so they weren't as seen as desirable for getting new jobs because they, uh, they were competing against others that were stretching themselves and out and networking and not being a creature of habit. So, you know, what you were saying really struck a chord because, like, like you said, it's great to talk about it, and we may make excuses because we're creatures of habit and used to doing what we – well, if it's worked for the past five years, we're going to keep doing it. Yes. You know, that whole idea of unlearning. <laughs> not learning, but you've got to – not only do you have to learn new things, you have to unlearn the old ones. What worked – what was a wonderful title of a book, uh, what got you there won't uh, – what got you here won't get you there. Mm-hmm. And you're right, you need to, to, to stretch. And um, when you're talking about the networking with the accountants, one of the, the tips that I included in woulda, coulda, shoulda, get, to get rid of excuses, and maybe those accountants could have used it, is be careful who your friends are. And if you look at them, do they make excuses? Do they never take a risk? Do they say negative things? Do they hold on to the past? 
because it's been said that you are the average of the five people you spend the time, most time with. Mm-hmm. And you said those accountants worked together, socialized together, had lunch together, um, did not have other people in their, their close professional network. Big sort of red flag, danger sign. If you're all set, if those people are interesting, a little intellectually curious, highly motivated, but if they're in a rut, chances are you might be too. And in fact, I think one thing to ask yourself about the people with whom you spend the most time is do they make excuses and do they make excuses for you? I overheard one person who was starting up uh, fitness and exercise regime trying to lose weight and the friend in this narrow group of sort of negative people said, oh, don't lose weight. It's a terrible idea. Don't lose weight. You'll wrinkle. So to ask yourself, who are you spending time with? Are they negative? Are they holding back? And are they holding you back with an attitude that's kind of out of date? Was that, uh, uh, Dr. Bradley, would you say is that a long, goes along with the pay attention to the, the power of language, to like those around you and what's, you know, what they're talking about and saying? Exactly. I think that um, you said the pow- <laughs> your words, the power of language, paying attention and just an awareness. And I think another tip that I'd like to share is if something isn't clear, or even if you think it is, the language may mean one thing to you and something else to the person who's speaking. Ask questions. Ask for clarification. Ask for details. It'll save you a lot of time and effort that might be wasted otherwise. Mm, good point. Um, so, and and even even if you think of uh, you think of business example or a personal example, oh, I'm. Thank you, David, very much for the invitation. I'm sorry I can't make it. And if it's not just a social excuse, white lie, to talk about, oh, well, you found out maybe as we talked that if I had some help on the project or if um, I had transportation or whatever the barrier is, we could overcome it together and move ahead. So, yes, words count. And find out the meaning behind the words. Mm. Um, and it, it can transform lives and transform careers. I know that uh, I did in, in doing interviews for the book "What Coulda Shoulda." I interviewed an attorney, and I said, "Do lawyers ever make excuses?" And you all are being very polite, but he laughed <laughs> as a lawyer and said, yes, you know, we make lots of excuses. And I said, well, when are you most likely to make them? And he said he thought that attorneys made the most excuses when it came to excuses for not calling their clients back, not returning phone calls. Mm-hmm. And he listened to his own words and he thought, I don't return phone calls. And I saw him a few weeks later, and he said, I thought about the words I said to you. I thought about the reason behind them. I realized that I didn't return the phone calls because I don't like my clients. And he resigned from the bar and started a new career. 
Wow. So you're right. An awareness can, and listening to your own words as well as those of other people can really lead to some very positive changes. And in this case, talk about a risk taker. The man is 68 years old and was told if you resign from the bar, you can't get back in unless you retake the bar exam, which would be unlikely that he'd want to do. So it was kind of a burn the ships, there's no way home unless you fight the battle. Um, Put yourself in a position where you can't easily go back. Take a risk. Um, That's a good point and and a good example because uh, we're always looking for ways to grow and it it doesn't stop at 25 or 35 or 45. In your example, this person may have been around people that were saying to him, you can't change careers, you can't, you know, all the reasons and making excuses not to. And just that little, uh, our first, one of our first podcasts was Godwinks. And it sounds like you had given that gentleman <laughs> or <laughs> a Godwink to find out what their next step would be. That was um, great. Well, I, I love your, your title. I love to go back and see if I can listen because it's amazing that uh, at one point I was running a career development program and, and People would come in and say things like, I hate my job. I don't like what I do. I don't like the people. I don't like the setting. I really don't like the location and keep on going. And said, But I think I'll stay here because I've only got another 17 years till retirement. And I'm thinking, do you know how long 17 years is? Uh, I think it's time to, to not make the excuses of, oh, I, I'm, I'm afraid of change or this is comfortable or what. The known is easier than the unknown. And, in fact, when you're thinking about uh, mid-career or even late career, I used to teach a workshop, and the title was What to Do Before It's Too Late. And it was for mid-career employees who were also thinking about retiring maybe 10 years from then because mm-hmm. we found that people usually don't do new things in retirement. So if you say, oh, I think I'm going to travel, and you've never even gone away for the weekend, it's kind of unlikely <laughs> that you're going to do it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think I'll... Um, buy season tickets to the theater. And in the last 40 years, you've never gone to a play. So I think I love your idea of God winks, but also be prepared and go for it now. Don't make excuses. Grab the opportunities or, as you implied, create them yourself. Mm. It's a lot easier said than done, I must admit. Well, that brings me to the next point, because like you said uh, in your workshop, what to do before it is too late uh, for middle, midlife or mid-career people. uh, And and you're saying that the the speed of change is happening so quickly. And so if we can use a prototype of a person that, you know, they kept their nose down at, uh, kept their head down at, you know, 20 something years old when they first, when they graduated and they took some initiative, they grew in the company and, they're make they're used to a standard of living and a good salary, and then they the company was bought out, and yeah. so they're look they're looking for work, and they're used to commanding the salary, but the marketplace is unable or they can't find similar work. 
so without making excuses, what would you say as far as uh, outlook and next steps? I can empathize, and I had done outplacement programs for an employer who had major operations in extremely rural settings. So if you worked for that employer, life was good. And you probably had a farm that had been in the family for a few generations, and you made your living by working for this company. And suddenly the plant's closing down. And you can't say, oh, just um, no, dust off your resume and, and go someplace else because there weren't other places. And I think that the answer to your question is it's, it's difficult, but you really need to look at three things. You need to look at what are your values, what are your interests, and what are your strengths. And the values, oh, one person said, I think I'm going to go reinvent myself and I'm going to go back to school. And then he realized that second thought, he thought that he would look, this was not in the rural environment, this was in a city in which he had more options. He thought, I think I'm going to stay in my field because I have a young son who's having major medical problems and I don't want to start a new career. So what are your values? Um, And what do you do well? What are your marketable skills? And I think all of us have got some marketable skills. I know I have um, a degree that involves a, a part of the degree requirements for having a, a minor in statistics. I can do it, but I don't enjoy it. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So I think you need to find out where the values, the interests, what do you like to do, and what do you do well intersect. If you're lucky, um, you'll be able to find something locally. If not, I think you can regard yourself. It's been said so many times, almost as a brand, almost as what you incorporated, and figure out, are you willing to live any place, or maybe you're not willing to move? What is within an hour and a half drive of where you're living, and what are the employers looking for that you might have that is consistent with, again, values, strengths, and interests? That's the ideal world. If in a pinch, I think I'd start with strengths. Mm-hmm. And also, I hope that all of your listeners are doing things like keeping a folder or on their computer a folder or a handwritten folder that has got evidence of accomplishments and things that they've done well because you forget what you do right. I think, unfortunately, in the business world, if you do something wrong, that's when you hear about it. But you don't hear about it enough if you've done something right. And you need to remember what you've done right so you can build on those, both for your interviews and your resume, and even looking for the right opportunity. What are your strengths? And you're in you're in Virginia, correct? Right. Yes. It, it makes me, and this is probably just more of a statement, but uh, it, it, I remember some colleagues, you know, going through different changes in the uh, 
what do you, what do you call it, DMV area. Um, and so some people, if they lived in D.C., they are able to take the train and work in New York. And so they didn't have to uproot their family. And I remember, you know, they, we were sharing that story uh, before, and I was talking about, wow, it would have been great if we had something like that here in, in Georgia. We're in Atlanta. And oh. so it's so spread out that there has been talks of having like a rail system from Nashville to Birmingham. And that would, that would be fruitful for every, for the, for the region, right? You didn't have to, I just remember people, it was difficult to, if they couldn't sell their house, you know, or the, the, uh, your spouse could stay, your spouse didn't have to leave their job, but you had to leave your job. You know, it was just a lot of uh, headache and heartache whereas in other areas of the country, namely like the DMV area, you could work in a region and not be uprooted. You don't have to take your kids out of school or anything. It's amazing what people do. I went to an event yesterday and met someone who lives in Charlottesville, Virginia, and commutes to New Orleans. Wow. That's a long commute. (laughs) My father for a while lived in Norfolk, Virginia, and Uh, commuted to Minneapolis. That's not ideal. But I think one thing that's happened now, certainly since the days that my father did that, is if you're fortunate and don't want to move, that it seems that there are an increasing number of opportunities to work remotely. I know that some major employers decided that that was not such a good idea after all and made people come back and work out of an office. But I think a large number of opportunities are still there. Again, if you have kept yourself flexible and up-to-date and have got the skills to be able to end the position that lends itself to doing that. But mm-hmm. you're right. It's... Um, it's a long way if you lose your job in Macon, Georgia, and have to. I found out Macon's not a suburb of Atlanta. It's a long commute. <laughs> no, that's funny. You laugh because I, I thought it was for a while. Uh, you know, it's funny because here in Atlanta, we there, there, we have a joke that if you, uh, it, it's so uh, the the metro area has expanded so much, right, from suburbia to exurbia, that you are some people do live close to Macon, and they would say if you see them on the plane, they're like, yeah, I live in Atlanta. And so <laughs> it, it, we said our metro area is called Nash Lanaham. So. Oh, I love it! I love it. <laughs> oh, I think that's great. <laughs> it, it, it was uh, everyone complained about uh, David's originally from California, and we're every you know I'm sure even in your area you complain about traffic, and so when you were talking about remote, uh, I know some companies that uh, they have some some employees work remotely, and then they're the you know just to stay competitive they're on a 24 hour cycle in that. You know, the the Americans, if you will, work until like six or seven, and then from seven on, it, they, they transfer all their business or their uh, work over to India. And mm-hmm. so we're, I'm seeing more of that. And, and what, Are you seeing that as well? And, and how does that factor in with uh, excuses? Do you blame the people because of cultural barriers? Or uh, what are you seeing on that on that side? 
Oh, what an interesting question. You're right, the world has changed. It used to be, you know, congratulations, you're a new supervisor, here's your team, you know, make sure you use eye contact and all those other interpersonal skills, and now the team might not be in the same time zone or the same country. And it's, mm-hmm. it's interesting. I would love to, now that you've prompted the, the question, look into different cultures. I had not um, considered that when I wrote the book, that maybe, um, thank you for suggesting it. I, I, I don't know the answer as far as different cultures. I do know that it's certainly to make that situation you just described work, people have to embrace it wholeheartedly and not make excuses. Oh, the old ones of Oh, you know, I didn't. I didn't get your phone call. Don't work anymore. <laughs> I didn't get your email. Probably doesn't work either. Um, making sure that you have got a reputation for being reliable and following through, I would think, would be even more important. <laughs> I didn't get your phone call. One always interesting because. In this day and age, I mean, you can't be anywhere with, it seems like everyone is surgically attached to their phones. <laughs> exactly. And, and, and the person that, that, that tells you that, you're thinking, that's funny, because when I'm around you, you, your phone, you know, is in your hand constantly, yet you're telling me that you didn't get my call. <laughs> and don't, so the old excuses don't work anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, neither people don't have the downtime they used to have because I think that there's an expectation as far as excuses go. Um, I try. I, I make sure that I return a phone call or an email within 24 hours, right away, if I possibly can. Do you think that most people do it even faster, or do you think that they've got sort of a 24-hour rule in their minds? I think it depends on the position. Okay. Um, but the other thing I would think of, and I've, I've seen this with uh, some of my attorney clients, namely personal injury, uh, is that they're having more accidents. You know, they're re- representing more people because they're texting and driving or they're trying to conduct a conference call while they're in rush hour traffic. And they're, it's, it's like a, a DUI in that they're not focused you know, they're trying to drive with one hand and, and stay a, a part of the conference call on the other. And they, they don't want to make excuses that, hey, I'm sitting in traffic. I, want, I still want to be a part of the team. Um, but I think something's going to have to give because it, it's, it's, a, it's a challenge that we haven't had before. But with that 24-hour business cycle, I think these are some of the challenges we have to address. So you're really saying it's better, it's certainly safer to make an excuse I'm terribly sorry, but I need to call you back in an hour. Um, it's much better to make sure that you arrive at your destination safely, isn't it? What, distracted driving? But you're right. You don't want to admit that I'm sitting in traffic or I'm in an airport and I'm paying more attention to another client. It's a, it's a big problem. Yeah. And as adults, right? As adults, I think we're 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 being hypocritical because there, there's more there's glowing commercials with uh, major car brands where the kids are coming to their parents like, hey, I can't turn the volume up, and the parents are like, oh, really? Or my phone won't work. 
when I'm in the car. And you're like, oh, really? And, and so what do you say when, Dad, well, you're doing that. It reminds me of the 80s drug commercials. Where did you learn that drug? <laughs> I learned it from you, Dad. <laughs> I love that commercial. Oh, but, but you're right, because even in, in our lives, in the other night my um, cell phone rang at about, oh, gosh, 10.30, my time. Mm-hmm. And I thought, gosh, I don't recognize, PM, and I, I don't recognize the number, and I think it's probably going to be just a, um, you know, solicitation for something that I have no interest in. And they'll just hang up. And then it went to voicemail. So I thought, oh, okay, I better check this. And it was a business call. But the business call was from Honolulu. Mm. And said, oh, if you get this call, you know, could you please call me back? And I'm thinking, okay, now it's almost 11 o'clock at night, my time. But I thought, I can't make an excuse. I need to call this person back. Uh, so you're right. The downtime is is hard in the expectation across time zones and different situations. It's tough. It is tough mm-hmm. for these days. Mm. I'm call, I called it back, and I'm glad I did. But uh, and then, then it led to a request of saying, "Could you please email me three documents right away?" So you know, after midnight, I'm trying to find the documents and send them along because mm-hmm. I didn't want to make an excuse, mm-hmm. and I didn't want to admit that I was already you know wearing bunny slippers at that time of night <laughs> and was not thinking that there was a business. So let's stay there for a second. So we're talking about, uh, I had used the example of different roles with kids versus their parents. And I want to get your take on making excuses as well. We're talking about, you know, as, as employees or maybe small business owners, but on the other hand, on the other side, you have uh, the CEOs, they're still getting these huge payout if they're laid off or, or fired. And what's your take on that? I'll take the easier part of the question first. How's that? <laughs> when you mentioned kids, <laughs> because I, again, I, I told you I, I wrote what I could have should have, thinking that business leaders would probably like tips on eliminating excuses for their teams and from their teams. And I found that a lot of people have told me, "Oh, I bought what I could have should have for my kids," mm-hmm. and. Or I've used it as a graduation gift or sort of, the, as you said, with that um, other example we were just talking about, do, do as I say, not as I do. Mm-hmm. I might make excuses, but <laughs> you shouldn't. The, um, the huge payout question, I think, is really interesting. And I don't really know the answer other than... Um, it's hard, as, as someone who has not received a multi-million dollar offer <laughs> uh, for a short tenure in a job without uh, producing stellar results, it seems to me that it's kind of hard to accept it on the outside. I don't know how I would feel, maybe grateful, maybe I'm not sure what. Um, usually, you know, dismayed because... 
was my next opportunity. She said, not, not thinking that it could happen to you. But I don't really know the answer to the payout. Do you have any insights? Well, I was just, you know, on, on one side with the woulda, coulda, shoulda, I just, I know in, in the environments that I was in, uh, morale is usually attached to the leader, right? So if the leader, and I, I was taught that way, if you're, if you're frowning, walking down the aisle or, you know, walking down the hallways, then the, your employees would pick up on that. And right. so, right. And, and I, and it was just really interesting. I, uh, and I, I've been in sales. So, you know, we've, we've had mirrors on our desks and, you know, make sure we're always smiling and such. But it, it was really interesting um, with, with my personal experience when I had left that one position and still hung out with some, some colleagues there. And they were just like, oh, man, we miss you being there. Like the person that's in your position, they don't smile. They don't call us by name. You know, all of that is associated with morale. Mm-hmm. And so if the president is it's kind of it's top down and if they bring in somebody from, you know, outside the family, if you will, and they're there for less than a year and a year or a year and they get this huge balloon payment and didn't make any type of change whatsoever, morale is affected negatively. Oh, definitely. It's um, I think it it's difficult to be the person who's brought in, because I think what uh, number that I had read just the other day was 40% of the outsiders who are brought into those positions don't make it. I think they fail in approximately a year or less than a year. Mm-hmm. But it's also really tough on the team, because you're right. There, there is such a thing as leadership, and there is such a thing as culture. Um, you're right, the smiling, the what kind of a role model is um, is the leader? I don't know when you say, oh, my gosh, well, next, next, next. That's not real good, is it? <laughs> I think it's just ongoing. It's something that we can't have a blanketed statement. It'll always change. But I'm thinking of clusters, and here in Georgia, um, we don't have, we, we're, we're trying to get a cluster. So around the country, you may, you, you, you hear, or I've heard, well, we, we're trying to emulate Silicon Valley, or we're trying to imitate, what's ha- replicate what's happening in Boston or DMV. And so in those areas, if I leave a place like Facebook, I can go to Google or Yahoo. And in the example you used earlier, I'm not saying Georgia's like that, but if we had the only one, one uh, employer, and then they go away. You know, you're affected. Like we here in Atlanta, we we lost our our, our army base and uh-huh. or military base, and that was a huge employer for you know around the airport and things like that. And and that area is still adjusting, you know, after ten years. So you know, I have it's. What you're saying is, is at the beginning was really important about you know short-term strategies and long-term that strategic and tactical plans. I, I think you have to constantly evaluate them. Oh, I agree. I think for your company, for your team, and for yourself, what's what's short-term, what's long-term, and I don't think that. Um, People, I guess the, the 
term that's most often used, stakeholders, employees, stockholders, your board, bosses, um, fellow or staff members are really care about excuses for the most part. Mm-hmm. It, it's what are the results. Mm-hmm. And um, I knew the culture wasn't supportive, the time wasn't right, I didn't get the email. None of that works. Mm-hmm. <laughs> At least not in, not in my experience. <laughs> And but you're right. It's particularly difficult when a major employer, um, especially someone like the army. I mean, and well, and on a lot of the major companies, no one would have guessed about the changes, or I certainly would never have been able to predict the changes that are happening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that the excuse of who knew works anymore. Although it's certainly something I can relate to. Oh my gosh, you know. Or why didn't we pay attention? Because I think awareness has got to be part of it. I, I thought, oh, another potential book is um, one on red flags and how to pay attention to the signals that maybe you just sort of made an excuse and thought, mm, this didn't apply to me. Hmm. Or it couldn't happen here. Oops, it did. And so not making excuses as far as um, being nimble and flexible. And I think probably my other career tip would be never stop learning. Because mm-hmm. um, you just don't know what the future is going to have. Mm-hmm. And I think I, I told you that I mentioned that I wrote the book because I think one major thing that differentiates wildly successful people from average ones is that the wildly successful ones don't make excuses. But there's additional research done on what makes a successful person. And that research I thought was fascinating because they they looked at all sorts of competencies and capabilities and education and experience. And the number one thing is not how educated you are or what your background is or what, what your grade was in high school on, um, in algebra. But the number one thing was what are you willing to learn quickly? Do you learn quickly? But more to the point, do you learn from your mistakes? You not make excuses, but say, oops, okay, I'm not going to make that mistake again, and keep growing. So I thought that was encouraging. Is that something that I think we can all, is in, our, is in everybody's reach? Mm-hmm. Learn from your mistakes. And, that, and learn, that, want, to be, want to learn. <laughs> well, that brings me back to, to my next question because, you know, I'm think, um, I've seen where a domino effect, like if something happens in one industry, it seems like it's in a silo, but then it's accepted or uh, you see it in other industries. And so uh, over the past year, we've seen in the entertainment industry, uh, a lot of the dynamics changing with uh, genders. And so they were making excuses before. And then since you have the IT background, right, you're working in something. Oh, you do not? No, that's oh, why you know I have I'm to going learn quickly. <laughs> yeah. I'm an amateur. Well, yeah. <laughs> I'm an amateur. Well, some of these um, 
male-dominated environments, right? Uh, they, right, but they that's have one. to change. They they have to change where you know women or uh, you know, people diversity and what have you. Uh, it's constantly changing, so it's like you probably have a living, breathing document with the woulda, coulda, shoulda, because what was acceptable maybe five years ago isn't in 2018, 2020 type of deal. So it's more of like learning the, the like you said, the competency, but also learning the uh, the intangibles. Yes, and and paying attention and doing the right thing. We just don't make excuses. <laughs> you know, I, I remember a, a real basic tip in an ethics course was, uh, does it feel right? Would you be okay if this action were described on the front page of the newspaper? And your mother read it. <laughs> um, you know, there's some real basic standards. Um, so I guess in that case it was, you know, sometimes it's a just do it and sometimes it's a just don't do it. Mm. And uh, the world has changed. I know that my first job out of graduate school was I joined a major, huge employer, enormous. I think they had, I don't know, 400,000 employees. And they, um, I did not realize it was unusual to meet the president and be told, oh, we want you to develop, I'm I'm smiling as I describe this, a... um, Women in management course, you know, recruiting, development program, because we don't have any <laughs> women in management. And this was, gosh, in the late 70s. And I moved 800 miles away. I met the president my first day of work, which, again, I didn't realize how unusual that was at age 27. And uh, he said, well, well, welcome to the company. And I just wanted to let you know the program's been canceled. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, uh, for me and for the company, I think it all worked out very well because the men said, well, we don't think that women should have an advantage and have a special program. So lucky for me, I was able to make a career out of really people in management. But times have changed for having a company of that, fortunately, a company that size. Um, there's still industries where progress is slow on lots of different fronts. But um, I think people are not making excuses the way they used to mm-hmm. and are, are doing the right thing, I hope. If not, we have a book for them, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to say something, David? <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask uh, Dr. Bradley. What do you you mention uh, in your book? Do you talk about excuses as gifts? Can you give me some examples of that? I think if you find out the reason behind the excuse, you have taken a big step to solving a problem. And I think when I wrote those words, that I thought about even staying in a hotel and having the the comment cards and instead of letting uh, and not making excuses tell us what you like tell us what you don't like that you all probably like me and I every time I do something online I immediately get take two minutes to give us the survey Mm -hmm. don't make an excuse and disappear we want to (laughs) know so we can fix it and I think if you figure out the problem behind the excuse, you can move ahead. 
and you can change your behavior. If you just kind of say, oh, well, I'm sorry, um, it, I, I, um, I need an incomplete in that course, <laughs> whatever the uh, equivalent is in the business world, you need to find out what's really going on. I think that a humorous example is a true story of an excuse that um, a guy called in and talked to his boss and said, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be at work today. And the boss said, well, what's going on? And he said, well, I'm having car trouble. And he said, well, what's the trouble with your car? And the man said, I'm not in it. Um, <laughs> so, and actually, you know, when he, he probed, he said, well, there was a problem on a project, and, you know, if he could, and he was afraid that he was going to, you know, to come in because he wasn't going to make a good report at the staff meeting. And, but finding out what's behind the excuse, I think then it becomes a gift, a gift of information. That sounds similar to the one of, uh, you know, I'm not going to be in today, and your manager asks, well, what's the problem? And you say, my eyes are bothering me. <laughs> well, what's wrong with your eyes? I say, I just don't see myself coming into work today. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> That's wonderful. Yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, but, <laughs> and then finding out what what's going on. Is that just a... a Luke with that one person or do you have a morale problem in the department could be a gift yeah I think one of the big gifts especially since your your book is on Amazon it is the comment section uh, fortunately or unfortunately if everyone likes something they won't say anything but if they don't they can give you those excuses that are gifts that can actually either make a competing product product or make your product even better that is an interesting dilemma right now. You're right. Um, it's it's a scary gift, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's a hold your breath gift. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, and I, I think again, it's the the do the right thing. I would. Um, what do they say? Feedback is the breakfast of champions. But I, I think there's a, a time and a place and a way to deliver it, too, that, um, and to ask yourself what your objective is in, in offering it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if things are, are so fast, because uh, we're, we're at the top of the hour, I'm just thinking if they're so fast now, what do you, what do you see as far as the, well, can we get faster or we're always looking for ways to improve and how are we best able to adapt so that we find ourselves not making excuses for the future? I think that keeping certain words in mind, um, excuses will always be there. Opportunity won't kind of sums up our conversation today. Mm-hmm. Remember, be aware. Listen. I think that people have told me that woulda, coulda, shoulda, if nothing else, made them aware of excuses that they didn't even realize um, were all around them. And I think keeping up with a fast pace, take a risk. Figure out what your strengths are. Figure out what you really, really want. And make it happen by getting rid of excuses would be my mm-hmm. big word of advice. 
Absolutely. And uh, you can get your book on, on Amazon, but are, are there any other websites or social media where people can get in contact with you? I laugh because we talked about uh, computer skills. Right now, um, Amazon is the best place and the only place. So I would be delighted if your listeners go to Amazon and order woulda, coulda, shoulda, rapid results, no excuses. It's a small book um, that people tell me they've enjoyed using as a reference book and kept it by their bed. It's also fun to read. It's a lighthearted treatment of a serious topic. So I hope they'll find that it's got practical, useful tips, but I also hope that they'll smile when they read it. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, you have just been in tune to another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. This is Hamza. And I'm David. And Dr. Margaret Bradley, it was a pleasure speaking with you today. Oh, thank you very, very much for inviting me to join you on your show. Thank Thank you. you. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Listen to Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective on Radio Public. It's a free, easy-to-use app that helps listeners like you find and support shows like ours. When you listen to our show on Radio Public, we receive direct financial support every time you hear an episode. Experience our show and Radio Public today by listening to the show link in our episode notes, and thank you for listening. Thanks again for checking out another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homies Perspective podcast. Please check us out on our website at intrinsicmotivation.life where you can click on the speak pipe button and leave any suggestions for a future podcast that you'd like us to cover. Also check us out on our social media sites. We have a YouTube channel, Facebook page, iTunes podcast, in addition to Stitcher and Google Play, all under Intrinsic Motivation from a Homies Perspective. Check you out next time. Have a great day.